coming to you from our new home at DynastyLeagueFootball.com and a DLF family of podcasts. We are the Superflex Super Show. We talk QB values, Superflex strategies, evaluate and debate Superflex trades, plus our own twist on Superflex team management with exercises like Tinderflex, Super 6, and You Are Nuts. So when you're done with this awesome DLF podcast, find us on Twitter at Superflex Show and join us in the discussion of the fastest growing format in all of fantasy football, Superflex, on the Superflex Super Show. Welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts. So what was that about? Like, I know, something about podcasting and YouTube content creation like, it's, it works the opposite of everything else I try to do, including fantasy football. Like, the more work I put into things, the, the less comments and uh, interaction I get. Like, that last episode was just kind of off the cuff, a thing I was talking about on Twitter the other day, so I thought I'd, I'd talk to you all about it on here as well. Like, I got people I haven't heard from for years. Like, hey, I thought you turned out to suck. And uh, no, that 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 episode was a bounce back. So we're just gonna do that from now on, I guess. Uh, some other things I was talking about recently is you know the dynasty problem, the fact that it's always a good idea to sell when players increase in value, but the best way to win fantasy is to basically do the opposite. So I'm just gonna talk about that for a while, I guess. Let's go. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the field watchers and there's all at once. I am one of those skeptical of status quo. Lazy and to the bone, no doubt about it. Sometimes I grind my Excel sheets. Sometimes pour cold water on heat. Okay, so yeah, let's just finish a podcast episode like before you go to work. Why not? Just just like talk about stuff. Maybe that'll work until I get a guest on here. Um so Cooper Adams at Cooper at underscore DFF. Don't know, don't know why that's his at, but he's a very good follow. I uh, like him a lot. He's over at DLF with us right now, um, and he's kind of a nerd and stuff. But uh, he, he's been talking on Twitter lately about whether he thinks part of his process is going to be to sell wide receivers when they hit peak value. So Jamar Chase right now, Justin Jefferson last year, or in fact, right now. Um and it was a really interesting conversation. Adam Harstead got involved in it because he likes talking to Cooper a lot because Cooper's awesome. You should probably go follow him. Um, and so I quote treated Cooper mainly just because I like to kind of poke at Cooper a little bit because, uh, yeah, it's fun. Um, and that way I could say, hey, Cooper, I quote treated you. But uh, here's what I said about it. I said the dynasty problem is that the right answer is almost always to cash out at value like when a player hits that max value and only if you're trading for that value like you don't just trade Jamar Chase to trade Jamar Chase obviously this isn't an aside all of this wouldn't have fit in a tweet um but the best fantasy decision is to go all in player evaluation and future prediction 
which is a weird weird ass phrase uh, hit at such poor rates that both true both are true and neither help solve the other much in my opinion so what did I mean by that I don't know Matt sometimes I just say things and uh, yeah sometimes people like it but at the heart of it is this conflict between the fact that we want to play redraft or in fact my dynasty process has increasingly become where can I play redraft in dynasty without you know just screwing my team up and having to rebuild every two years and so dynasty with a redraft inclination or whatever you call it and that's essentially what I'm talking about if you're playing redraft you draft the players that you expect to score the most points and you get some wrong and you get some right with dynasty because we've added this extra element of value to it where you don't get to redraft every year and so you have to either hit hit well or you have to build in some level of safety to your team in that the player is going to still be around for the next three years at similar value in your estimation and rookie picks and um, become the currency of how to move players on and off your dynasty squad essentially outside of the waiver wire which is also an Im- un- important and underrated aspect of dynasty in my opinion as well so the the seasonal aspect of dynasty is you want to go all in on a player who's going to continue to score epic amounts of points so jamar chase we expect him to score epic amounts of points next year and he's young so he's got value and points and you want to go all in on that but because we are bad at predicting the future and also you know uh, just barely above 50 percent of predicting who's going to score how many points um, I heard someone give a range recently of between 40 and 60%. We'll take that. I don't know what it's based on, but it feels right. Um, my estimation is most uh, mostly I get about 55% of my points per game projections right, depending on, on what uh, position you're looking at. And I've seen similar projections like Mike Clay and uh, Tan Ho over there at DLFs do a similar rate, and sometimes better, sometimes worse. I believe David Wilson actually had one of the best points per game overall uh projections for 2022 by most positions but I, I forget what those results are see talking off the cuff you know anyway um but yeah it, it seems like up to 60 percent is uh, definitely possible um given that the variance involved and the fact that value is an aspect in dynasty it's almost always best if you can get the value back for a player that hits their peak, whether it's a running back entering year two or a wide receiver entering year two, but normally entering year three, having had uh, hit the ceiling of essentially being worth more than three firsts, three first generic three three generic first round picks, then it's almost always better to cash out. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to trade for exactly three firsts, but it does mean that what you get back should be pretty locked in as having that level of value. Again, we use rookie picks as you know, a synonymous form of what, uh, of the currency of dynasty, but that doesn't necessarily should mean you should always be trading rookie picks or even targeting rookie picks. It's just a simple shorthand way to talk about some holistic idea of value, which is also kind of ridiculous since most dynasty leagues are different on a, variations on a theme, sure, but still variations based on your scoring, based on who's in your league and what what players in that league tend to do, but didn't don't mean to get too deep into that so um to go back to what cooper said to keep me on track essentially he's debating whether it's better or worse and he was looking at how many players fail after hitting the first round by their first off season essentially so their adp into their second year and i think it's a pretty interesting conversation my only addition to it 
uh, which I got, I, I think, owned for, um, was to look at the 2014 class as somewhat synonymous with the 2020 and 2021 class as good wide receiver years. And I was just pointing out that Mike Evans and Odell Beckham were the only two wide receivers to hit the first round in DLF ADP by that second, that first offseason, so their ADP going into their second year. And they're also the only ones who sustained multiple first round uh, draft picks after that point. Now, Alan Robinson did hit the first round in his third year, so the offseason before he played his third year, but he never got back there again, and we also know that he's still struggling in terms of holding dynasty value or producing fantasy points recently, but his ADP didn't fall drastically. We're talking about very high-level picks, first-round startup picks, so that's not necessarily shade in what Alan Robinson did after the third year, not debating that. I just thought it was interesting that I noticed this pattern that Mike Evans and Odo Beckham were the two that hit the first round after their first year and the only ones who had multiple years in the first round, to which Adam Harstead pointed out almost immediately, and that I should have known this just off the cuff already that the very first line is Devontae Adams you know hitting the first round in like year six so one two three four five yeah year six he finally gets drafted in the first round of dynasty startups because while he didn't overly disappoint in his first year he did um only move up a single round and his overall production was fairly disappointing for the first few years of his career and it wasn't until that year that he really went off. Most people, including me, remember that delayed breakout for Devontae Adams and after that, obviously, he's been drafted in the first round three times if we include the 2022 season. Currently in January, DLF ADP has been drafted in the first round still. In 2021, he actually dropped to the second round but we'll just give him that and so you've got four straight years of first round ADP after the fact and I think that's a good point but I also think uh, it's worth noting that Devontae Adams is a fairly rare case his ADP did significantly drop before he actually got into that first round he was drafting the sixth round then the fifth round then the 11th round in year three where people started to suspect that that third year breakout wasn't going to happen either and it did a little bit because he rose into the third round and then the second round and then finally in that sixth year he got into the first round. So he breaks out in year four but his ADP did drop to the 11th round and overall I think it's a fairly good point to note that there was a significant drop even before that rarer later breakout happens there's an ADP fall and so if you were to trade away Devontae Adams after his first season when he was being drafted in the fifth round actually rose in ADP you still could have traded for him later and and you know eaten on both ends of the cake log I don't know you could it was fine and and also it's a fairly rare occurrence a wide receiver breaks out after year three and so Essentially, what my takeaway is, is any rule we develop about whether you should or you shouldn't trade wide receivers that hit peak value, whether it's a first-round ADP or however you want to measure it, like uh, they're worth multiple first-round picks after the first year, any single rule you develop is always going to have exceptions. And the only generic rule I've ever found to work is that players that fall by at least a round, and again, you can measure that several ways, but fall in ADP, there's an overall estimation that this player might be more likely to be a bust in the consensus community however you want to define it and those players typically like to a large degree go on to never have fantasy relevant seasons i wrote about this once for dlf and i should probably update it but the same thing is still true so i just keep sharing the same article in that players that drop by more than a round and i counted it by literally falling by 12 individual draft selections or draft picks and i just 
count that as a single round. Um, in ADP, uh, miss in fantasy for the next three years, 94% of the time. Now, there were four or five examples of players who fell by more than a, uh, a round and then actually did something good for fantasy, but they were the likes of DJ Chark, Michael Gallup technically dropped by more than a round, um, and Tyler Boyd, who dropped by 10 rounds, and who else was it? Off the top of my head, I can't even think. But anyway, I'll, I'll link the article in whatever accounts for places you can link notes. It's a podcast, so I can put it in the notes of this article. Or you can check out my Twitter feed where I reposted it recently. Um, uh, and the thing that's uh, that groups those players who are the exceptions that create that 6% out of the 94% miss rate um essentially they all had fairly decent production year one and they dropped in adp maybe too far and so one of the uh, one of the loose rules because there are exceptions even in that rule and um, to it uh that i found for year one performances is the players that i'm most willing to move on from are those who disappoint in their first season and you can define disappoint in a number of different ways just by looking at adp or by going thresholds of those six players who actually beat the threshold so like tyler boyd had over 600 yards she had a pretty good target share as well. Mark Gallup had over 600 yards, um, but 600 yards is just an arbitrary line they both share. Um, ultimately, they all had positive rookie profiles, and that's mostly what I rely on as well. But yeah, because it's such a strong hit rate, I mean, wide receivers repeat inside the top 24, as in they finish in points per game. Uh, they finish inside the top 24 wide receivers and repeat the following year about 52% of the time. And so that's what a good hit rate looks like. You know, any player that finished inside the top 24 this year has a 52% repeat rate just based on that fact alone. And so I kind of take that as a benchmark since it's slightly marginally better than a coin flip as that's what we're looking for, something for with decent signal to make you believe in a player. A rookie pick, a random first-round rookie pick, has like a 25 to 30% chance of netting a player who actually has a fantasy-relevant season defined as a top-12 tight end or quarterback season or a top-24 running back or wide receiver season. And so 50% plus is actually pretty decent. And that's why those who produce continue to produce. They also account for a disproportionately number of fantasy-relevant seasons once they've actually hit that group. There are one-time wonders. This is stuff that Jacob Brickrow wrote about back in the day at Rotoviz, where players have one fantasy-relevant season and then disappear. It does happen, but the majority of fantasy seasons are produced by those who continue to repeat rather than uh, those who break in. Having said that, talking with Tom Kissingberry about a week ago on Twitter, we were talking about the fact that that exaggerates the idea that breakouts are rare, because in fact, most type of breakouts happen every year. Define breakout however you want, you know, players that break out into the top five for tight end for the first time, uh, wide receivers that break out into the top 24 in their second year for the first time in the second year that doesn't count but anyway and most of those happen every year it's just they happen in ones and twos and there's one example every year instead of five examples every year and what i ended up coming to the conclusion with or where we rounded off the conversation with tom or i rounded off the conversation with tom was and you should also follow tom by the way uh tom kissenberry on twitter awesome dude and mostly does idp which means i need him because i don't understand that at all um and also he's just a neat dude but um 
is that while it does exaggerate the idea that breakouts don't happen, because in fact most type of breakouts happen every year, some are more or less common for sure, but there are always perpetually 30% of players breaking in, which means there are 30% of fantasy relevant seasons that are actually new, that haven't done it before or hadn't done it the year before or hadn't done it the year previously which is also why you know only 52 percent of wide receivers are repeating for example in fact i I got some more numbers on that why don't we throw it i was looking at a table recently to talk to people in the in the discord so yeah on a points per game basis quarterbacks repeat inside the top 12 50 percent of the time running backs repeat inside the top 12 42 percent of the time wide receivers repeat inside the top 12 41% of the time, remember I said it was 52% for the top 24, tight ends repeat inside the top 12 49% of the time. So quarterbacks and tight ends are about as stable inside the top 12. Now of course you're not interested in top 12 tight ends or you shouldn't be. Top 12 quarterbacks pretty much and it's nice to know they have a 50% repeat rate but the higher the threshold gets the less likely they are to repeat. So while most players who produce fantasy relevant seasons are producing the majority of fantasy relevant seasons on a year-to-year basis the best shot we've got is that a player that finishes inside of uh, a fantasy relevant position rank repeats hopefully about 52 percent of the time and that is why you know breakouts are kind of underrated because new players are breaking in every year and most type of breakouts happen every year and i think that was an interesting point by tom um as well to add to the conversation. But by and large, I still keep coming back to like an example of the 2014 class, where if you try to draw a single rule that captures everyone, I think you're going to miss 100% of the time. If you try and do everything, you're going to end up doing nothing. Basically, is the way I'd summarize that. And so... Because of the nature of Dynasty, it is always better to sell at value. If you can get that value, yes, most Dynasty analysts, most people you're going to ask are going to say, yeah, take that trade because value and variance and the fact we're fairly inaccurate and incapable of knowing the future, which is essentially what um, Dynasty Fantasy prediction comes down to and why redraft can be such a frustrating game because you can draft the very best team with the very best advice and because of an injury or because that team was slightly worse than than we all expected or because the Baltimore Ravens actually do pass phenomenally more than anyone else except me expected. (laughs) Um... Gotta humble brag where I can, you know, um, then your team struggles or doesn't clearly dominate the league. And other years, you can just dominate the league despite the fact you went exactly contrary to prototypical advice. Like, you know, I know, drafting a tight end in round one. There is heavy variance in a single season in the same way there was heavy variance in the playoffs of the actual NFL, where a single game makes or breaks whether you remain in the playoffs, where if you played that game out ten times, it might look very differently. All right, so when you break things down to a smaller sample size, as always, you're going to get more variance in it. I don't know why I've taken it here. That That's why. Because the redraft element that we want to play in Dynasty is more prone to variance. You're more likely to get it wrong. Whereas value, especially if you get a good trade, and this is the other thing, um, some Cooper was saying something else that was very smart and poetic and poignant, I'm sure, and my all my dumb ass could think of to come back at was, it all depends on the trade, though. We're talking about this generically, like, should you trade Jamar Chase for something? Yeah, but it only depends. 
only if you can get the right trade, right? Ultimately, it's all going to come down to that. If I remember vividly trying to trade Patrick Mahomes after his second season when he went off and accrued all that dynasty value that he still maintains because some players hit different, even though they hit similar thresholds, that the experience of Odo Beckham's first season, the experience of Patrick Mahomes' second season, those things remain, I think, part of the dynasty psychology. I have to talk to Zach Reed about that since that's his thing sometime. Um, and somewhat sustain and elevate their value. For example, in the 2014 class, I think Sammy Watkins, or I thought Sammy Watkins' ADP was held up longer than it should have. For example, he was drafted in the second round, then the second round, the first round, the second round, then the fourth round, then the seventh round. It wasn't until 2019 that we dropped Sammy Watkins to the seventh round. And now that feels kind of ridiculous. But looking back on it, and Adam Hansted just owning me all over the place, I realized that Sammy Watkins had 1,900 receiving yards through his first two seasons we were betting on something reasonable the consensus drafting him in the second round was actually for a reason but it still does feel since he never really broke into the top 12 that that second round ADP by 2017 is somewhat attached to the fact we had such high expectations early and he came from such a strong draft class I don't know why I'm just connecting the psychology there just to kind of get back to the 2014 class but I do think that's a that's an aspect of dynasty Similarly, Jarvis Landry, who had two top 12 seasons, never sniffed the second round. In fact, he got drafted in the third round three separate years, 2016, 17, and 18, in DLF ADP, but never got even close to where Sammy Watkins was drafted through years 2014 to 2017, despite having two top 12 seasons. So I, I, I think psychology plays an aspect of this as well. But if you try to draw a generic line that's going to get you the most and then we can do that. And that's if you sold all these players in year two for value, you will probably lose less less times, right? But if you're going to bet on anyone, bet on the two players who had first round ADP by that second year. And hopefully just notice that Devontae Adams is getting slightly undervalued. We, that's a separate conversation. How to spot a late breakout? I still don't have solid answers on that. Um, apart from the fact I really like Devontae Adams as a college player, so I guess I'll continue to hold on to those college profiles. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a solid rule. It's not that I'm capturing everyone. It's not that I want to not know Devontae Adams is out there, but I know Devontae Adams' late breakout is a fairly rare occurrence that I will be on the lookout for, but I don't have clear indicators for myself um, about how to identify them without, I think Adam Huston mentioned war wins over a replacement or something like that. I don't know. It's a, a stat someone in the Discord's trying to learn to calculate. Connor LaPlante, also a good follow on Twitter, uh, but I just don't have the space in my brain to do that just yet, um, or even conceive of it. So maybe check him out, but I don't have a good indicator for it, but I do know that players that hit the first round by the second year are our best bets for those who are going to continue to produce, and because of the psychological element, I think Mike Evans, for example, sustained first round ADP for three years after that second year, and never hit the top 12. Like, uh, that was an argument I was having back at the time, that we kept drafting Mike Evans in the first round, but he kept being a perpetual top 24 wide receiver, and I just didn't understand it. There wasn't a lot of... Uh, there were better upside shots, I thought. I've come to understand the idea a little bit better, but I still think that was a fairly strong take, and I think the reason his ADP was so high 
held in high regard is, again, part of that psychology. It's like the fact that Mike Evans is one of the wide receivers, like Brandon Cooks, who perpetually produces a thousand-yard seasons. A thousand yards, essentially in a vacuum, means nothing, but it's a nice threshold, it sounds good, and it gets stuck in our psychology to the extent that we can keep liking Mike Evans maybe a little bit more than we should. Although recently he's entered Team Old Guy, and now maybe we like him a little bit less than we should. But Brandon Cooks, who's also been continually producing a thousand yard seasons, was summarily dropped below uh, this level of ADP. So if you just wanted a thousand yard season, it was available for for a lot less than Mike Evans ever was. Until till now. Now Mike Evans is a, a pretty good buy on Team Old Guy, if I'm not making that clear. So the mix of the fact that we can't predict the future very well, the fact psychology is part of dynasty and kind of a hard thing to read because you're also trying to read your own psychology and there's a reason you can't be your own psychologist. And, and the fact you do get unique events like Devontae Adams, which is an exceptionally, exceptionally good career to try and capture and yet seems to enter this category of a late breakout that it's, for me at least, fairly difficult to find rules of, find the it all breaks down to the same thing. All of this is true. Any rule that you make is going to be true and not true. And it comes down to what that quote tweet was. The best dynasty answer is almost always going to be to trade a player away when they have a lot of value. But if you want to win your league, at some point, you're going to have to decide the opposite. This isn't a bug. It's a feature of dynasty. You have to pick your spots and decide when to go all in while protecting as much value as you can because you don't want your roster to be dead this time next year. And it's not a bug, it's a feature. But ultimately, I don't know what Cooper's going to come out at, but um, what his decision's going to be, check him out, find out where he comes to. He does very interesting research and comes up with his own process, which is what I'll encourage everyone to do. But ultimately, what I come down to is... The reason players are drafted in the first round is that consensus is pretty smart and it's getting smarter and they are our best bets for players who are going to continue to produce at a high level and even if they struggle, I think those that are drafted highly or exceptionally high in their second year and maybe carry a... uh, a psychological component which helps elevate their ADP even if they struggle a little bit. That's a little definitely narrativizing and just hyperbole but that's the way I kind of feel about it so the players right now being drafted exceptionally high based on the 2021-2022 rookie class 2021 really right now because you know it's all the rage Uh, Jamar Chase, Najee Harris, Kyle Pitts and Javante Williams Jalen Waddle is being drafted in the second round after he was drafted in the sixth round last year very worth worthy of being racked up that high in January ADP considering the season he had was not that far removed from Jamar Chase's and Waddle actually might be somewhat of a high-level prospect to target in trades because, yeah, he's slightly less valued than Jamar Chase but his season was actually no less impressive uh, based on, you know, various ways you can judge how well a season is whether it's points per game, overall performance, um, yards per team pass attempt, whatever you like, go compare them, and you'll. I think you'll find that uh, Jalen Waddle overall wasn't any l- significantly less impressive, and yet still being drafted around after Jamal Chase. And I think currently outside the top thirteen wide receivers, um, I have him inside the top twelve. I can't remember what is. Nope, 
Wait, uh, yeah, he's been drafted as a wide receiver eight, so I take that back. Anyway, um, all of those are the consensus is best bets for those who are young, good in their first year, and going to continue to produce fantasy points. Should you trade at value? Yes. That's the story I was in the middle of and forgot. Yeah, I remember trying to sell Patrick Mahomes after his second season, and I found it inordinately difficult to get a decent trade. The only guy I got to give me anything close was actually Dave Wright from FS Spaceman on Twitter from the Taylor Two Rivals podcast. Ask him if he remembers that trade, by the way, because he sent me basically nothing in a 2QB, not a Superflex, for Patrick Mahomes. That's how little Dave Wright believed in Patrick Mahomes. I'm just saying. But um, yeah, he included Devontae Parker in the deal. Or was it Corey Davis? Some wide receiver I liked, but was definitely overvalued in the trade we, we eventually got done. Just because I was in on the idea that you should trade players when they hit peak value. Because that is definitely the right dynasty answer nine times out of ten. But in that case, and also in Tyreek Hill, when he finally broke out, I tried to trade him because I'd acquired him for almost nothing in rookie dress and off waiver wires, and I couldn't find anyone to give me decent value. And I think at one point I ended up trading him for like a first round pick and Philip Dorsett, who I at no point liked, but I was like, fine, something more than a first, I'll take it. Um, but in both of those cases, and in most cases I've tried to sell at peak value, I, I've ended up underselling what their value was because I was trying to follow what I knew to be good dynasty process in general, which is trade when they hit peak value. But I think that idea can lead us to making trades that are not at value, and that's why I keep adding that little caveat here. You've got to trade them at value or you keep them, because essentially, while there is risk involved in predicting year-to-year variants and the fact that they might not actually repeat what they did next year, again, 52% is the best repeat rate what we have, just generically for players who finish inside the top 24, but they are the consensus's best bet, so consensus is pretty smart, and also if you just need to pad that a little bit because it's feeling a little less secure, note that we continue to draft Sammy Watkins inside the first three rounds for like five or six straight years, because I think psychology does play a role in here. So should you trade Jamar Chase? Yeah, but my guess is most teams do not have three first-round picks value-wise to give up for a single player. Um, if you can get those trades, do it. This goes a little bit to what Zachary was talking about on Twitter the other day, which is that we're all playing in very different leagues. Like, even if we're playing with the exact same people, each league is different. The connections, the way trades work, the relationship you might have developed with those people to make trades happen. So I'm not going to say you can't. But I would say do not force the issue. Because they are, for very good reasons, the most likely to hold value and produce high levels of fantasy points. So, yeah, it's all true and not true. You should sell players at peak value, but also you probably shouldn't. Yeah. I hope some of that was interesting. I threw some numbers in there, if nothing else. Let me know what you think. Um, I wouldn't trade Jamar Chase. I think 9 times out of 10, I'm not going to tra- find a trade to make it worth it. I'm not going to sell Jalen Waddle. I don't think I'm going to find a trade that makes it worth it for me. Um, Devontae Smith and Elijah Moore are the next two wide receivers drafted from last year's class. I think they're actually currently slightly undervalued as well, especially in trades, although their ADP actually has them in the third and fourth rounds. Well, note that... 
Yeah, they're both in the third round, I think, right now. No, Elijah Moore's in the fourth round. Devontae Smith's in the third round, according to January ADP. I find in trades are significantly less valued than that ADP. That draft round makes them sound, uh, which is also why I find them valuable. The other way this has come up is someone was recently... Like I said, uh, and I've, I've shared, that I think that Rondell Moore rose um, by a round in ADP. He was drafted in the 8th round last year. Now he's been drafted in the 7th in January ADP. Usually I take August, but we're not there yet, so I'm just looking at January. I think that's positive, or at least it's not negative. He didn't enter that 94% miss rate bucket. Um, and since I was borderline and whether his production was good enough or not good enough, I will borrow the consensus opinions when I'm uncertain because I've come to respect that, you know, the group is pretty smart and not thinking you're smarter than literally everybody else in the world, honestly, nine times out of ten in my life has been a good decision. I ain't that bright. Uh, and if the group thinks that his performance was good enough to think that he did well, well enough to draft him slightly higher at least, or at least not drop his ADP overall, they don't think he's more likely to miss, we don't think he's more likely to miss, and I like his college profile, and you know, some tape grinders like Zach Reed say nice positive things that I don't understand about them, ultimately that means I think he's a buy too. Rashad Bateman, where's he? He's risen by around an ADP to round 5 from round 6. Curiously, in January ADP, he's being drafted below Elijah Moore and Devontae Smith. I don't think that's true in value, though. Uh, but yeah, he's on the list of buys, too. Um, yeah, sorry. I, 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 I wandered off the point there. I reached a fairly successful and, um, I think, good dovetail ending, and they just keep talk kept talking, so... Yeah, I think I'm just going to end it there. Let me know what you think. Um, if you want to see any of the ADP I'm talking about, it's all on DLF.com. Um, I track it and calculate rounds in my PA Heady ranks sheet that's on Google Sheets, which you can find through Patreon or Twitter, I guess. I don't know. I'm going to go. Uh, really appreciate you all. Thanks very much. I'll talk to you again next week. Yeah! Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a pole, Twitter is gold, play run fold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got their lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that eye like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and they on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds, so. Jake on the table and they on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.